2: I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, teetering tech. The Nasdaq coming off its worst day in a month. Serious questions now being raised about some valuations in that space, how much further some of those stocks may need to fall. We discuss and debate that with our investment committee. And joining me for the hour today are Josh Brown, John Egerian, Jenny Harrington is the CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Courtney Gibson is the president of Loop Capital Markets. Let's go to the wall. Let me show you where stocks are currently trading. The markets have been mixed. Dow is down by about 100 S&P, off by nearly 8 NASDAQ and Russell 2000 positive. So some money coming into the dip in the NASDAQ and technology getting it back. Uh, In the green, we are, of course, focused on Airbnb and that IPO as the gang before uh, uh, us walked us right up to the IPO. We're still waiting on that first trade. Sixty eight dollars is where this thing was priced, indicated now at one hundred and fifty four more than double, as you can see. And it could be the biggest opening IPO surge since two thousand and eight that according to bloomberg so it is off to the races again the day after doordash just knocked the doors off and really delivered big time josh what do you make of just what we're seeing here you've got this pullback in tech yesterday we had a big surge in doordash now we're looking at another one for airbnb amid all of these questions about whether we've got a giant pocket that needs to deflate
0: uh, look look money continues to rotate around this market And if you know your Ralph Acampora, then you know rotation is the lifeblood of a bull market. That's very, very key here. So look what happens. Dollars come flying out of the home builders after a huge run. Where do they go? Well, they don't disappear. They go into energy. Money leaves the fang trade. It goes into IPOs. This is super bullish activity. And the longer it goes on for, I'm going to tell you, investor demand cannot be overstated right now. That's what's driving things. So, again, the Wall Street supply machine is cranking up. DoorDash and Airbnb's starting valuations are a really good um, indicator of that. But just look at the, the action in price. Take all the narrative out of your ears. Focus on what's actually happening. They beat, they beat the hell out of the Red Hots yesterday. They're all roaring back today. CrowdStrike, uh, all-time high. The trade desk, TTD, roaring right back. Snow is up. U is up, uh, Unity Software. Starbucks busting out to all-time highs. And now look at energy. They're going nuts in the oil patch. Um, Oxy's on fire. It's up 9% today. The OIH is up 4%. So you have Tesla 60 bucks off the lows. Um, You have the banks looking good. Capital One, COF, Discover Financial, DFS. Those were supposed to be the hardest hit on unemployment and consumer issues. Look at those stocks. So what I'm saying to you is... The same guys that would say to you, oh, this isn't a real bull market. It's only five stocks going up. They are now the same guys complaining that everything's going up. So I think you could see that. You could say, okay, <laughs> the reason to be bearish is also the reason to be bullish. I don't get it. So forget about all the commentary. Focus on price. It won't be this good forever, but that's what's happening right now. And if you're fighting it,
2: best of luck. I mean, okay, Court, J- Josh is lighting off the fireworks. Um, all's good. Nothing to, nothing to see here. Uh, play the game because it's going to keep going for a while. Is that the right thing to do?
3: Well, so good to see you guys, and I'm loving Josh's energy today, but he's right. I 1,000% agree with him. At Loop Capital Markets today, I touched base with Chris Levin and Ken Hallman on our trading desk. We're better to buy two to one, and that rotation into some of those sectors that have not had the pleasure of rallying nearly as much like energy, they're going gangbusters in those places. But what we're seeing is kind of a trend of institutional investors picking stocks, in sectors broadly where they think that they will get some winners. And that's what's key. They're doing fundamental analysis. Yes, some names were paying forward a little bit, but ultimately they're finding names across the spectrum to be able to invest in. And they're buying. There is a ton of pent up demand that we're seeing in the market right now and institutional investors putting capital to work, both in the public and the private markets, which again, will we'll, I'm sure touch on financials today. Um, but we're seeing that pent-up demand be really being paid forward in the markets first. And as the economy comes back, and which we're obviously seeing some of the travesty that's occurring, whether it's on unemployment or whether it's kind of with COVID cases rising, as we see the other side of this, hopefully soon next year, you're going to see pent-up demand there coming to fruition and actually having the economy match what we're seeing in the markets.
2: All right, Jenny. So, you know, Josh says this is super bullish activity. Um, I think we would all agree with him. The question is, does it get out of hand at some point? And then do you get into the danger zone where the stocks continue to go up and then there's an upset and they're not bought back right away like they are almost every single time we've witnessed it, including today. Week to date, I've got to look at some of the names now. You know, DocuSign's down 7 percent week to date. JD.com's down Splunk and some of these other names. But yes, they're bought right back. Josh made that point very well. Does that change?
4: When you say super bullish, I think it's a really broad brush statement that re- that just says oh the market is super bullish. But we need to look at that more granularly, particularly now, he did. because don't forget. But he did. Okay, but he let's went get through a the more list. Granular. I mean, I can't get remember get everything
2: he laid out, but it it no, was no, no, a scenario no, no, no. in which this is very, what
4: I mean by uh, granular. Uh, you want me
2: to do it again? Cuz uh-huh. I'm not busy.
4: No, this is what I mean. <laughs> This is what I mean by bullish. When you say bullish, like you're talking about the things that have led and the list that you laid out are mostly what have led. And I know that you talked about energy and and how that's been on fire too. And it has, but we need to remember the energy is still down over 30% for the year. We need to remember that there's still a 60% premium to the valuation on growth stocks versus value stocks. That premium hasn't been that wide since 2001. So you can be super bullish, but I don't really like that phrasing, but you can be bullish on the market overall But when you're doing that and when you're staying invested, then you need to go to what Courtney said, which is stock picking, right? And I don't think you make, I think right now when you have these big valuation gaps, it becomes a stock pickers market and there's a lot to do out there, but you need to be careful. So I wouldn't want to just throw it all into the market right now. I wouldn't want to throw it all into what's worked. I would want to be much more, much more careful than I've been in the past year. So do I think that the bullish trends can continue? Yes, but what will lead those bullish trends? Not what's worked over the past year, probably what hasn't worked over the past year. So I think you can look at the, you know, you're right, Scott, when you talk about DocuSign and all those guys being off so much, they might plateau. I don't think they're going to implode. And as they plateau or as they come down, that's not going to tank the market because you have too wide a divide. So as the bottom of the market comes up, that's going to build a foundation to support the overall market. So you can be bullish, but I don't think it's like this, like rah-rah party on bullishness. It's just a pragmatic bullishness that says to you two things. One, the market turns up. Two, there are no alternatives.
2: John Nigerian, and it sure seems like we have a rah-rah, this market's going up. I mean, it doesn't it feel like that to you yesterday, DoorDash today, Airbnb, just the latest examples of a lot of exuberance, especially in, in, in new issues where, you know, there's been such a wave to ride in this market. And now you've got a couple of big new ones to get your surfboard out for.
1: That <laughs> latter part of your statement is the one that I focus on, Scott, two new ones Um, We both know that these companies have been around for a while, both DoorDash and Airbnb. I guess Airbnb started right around the time of the last crisis. Um, But that's still a fair amount of years in the rearview mirror. And they were able to uh, stay with those in the private side and just keep getting VC funding and basically grew to this behemoth that they are today. And it is also uh, uh, because they're new that. It's a very crowded trade, Scott, and it's, there is not a lot of float in either of these two stocks. Overall, yes, especially, you know, Airbnb today, um, 60 billion market cap about to, you know, explode much, much higher than that. Um, DoorDash, same sort of story, um, but they're only offering this much stock. In the old days, of course, when you dragged the red herring out there and people would follow and get in there. Yeah, they also manipulated, if you, if you want to call it that. I certainly call it that, Scott, because you're only offering a very small amount of this equity out there to the public. So the fact that it's new, the fact that people want to get into these, that's why you're seeing a doubling at 85 percent yesterday, probably 100 or 120 percent today out of airbnb because there's such a small offering and yet these are brands already that people want into that funds want to participate in so that's what that side of the market is the other side is that facebook story yesterday with all these attorney generals lining up to break them up that was the big negative for that two percent sell-off in the nasdaq yesterday it wasn't money drawn away from these guys because the money drawn away like i have just explained is relatively small even though those market caps are immense
2: yeah you know i i in speaking to all of you over over the not you all four just specifically but the investment committee over the Mm -hmm. last you know several days you you hear things of you know not necessarily oh i'm just going to dance till the music stops playing but certainly i heard from jim labenthal (laughs) something similar to that Yesterday that that bring to mind, you know, frothy things I've heard from, I think, court, you know, Peloton, you know, buying more Peloton because of a a deal with Beyonce. I mean, you know, Beyonce ain't buying anybody a Peloton. Right. They're going to have to buy it on their own. Uh, You know, I understand a partnership like that (laughs) is, is great. But but still, I'm just trying to these frothy sort of statements remind me and maybe others are thinking about it as well. Let's bring in Jonathan Krinsky. He's one of the most closely followed technicians on Wall Street. He's the chief one over at Baycrest who wonders whether the music just stopped. Those are his words in a new note. Jonathan, welcome.
5: Thanks, Scott. was good to be
2: here. You bring up some examples of extreme speculative behavior in your mind. The SPAC index rallying 43 percent from the beginning of November to today's high. The Renaissance IPO ETF rallying 32 percent over the last 19 trading sessions. Uh, the Dash IPO and the C3AI up 75 and 125 percent respectively on their IPOs. And as I said earlier today, the Airbnb IPO could be the biggest pop since 08 um, off the open.
5: Yeah, so there there are some signs of, of clear froth. We can also look at some of the transactional indicators like the equity put call ratios. Um, those are now the lowest level since 2000 on a 10-day basis. So people are very optimistic. They're buying a lot of calls relative to puts, and that's okay as long as the price action continues to. Confirm these breakouts. Um, you know, we always say that using bullish optimism as a sell signal is much more difficult than the opposite, and that's use bearish, uh, bearish um, price action as a as a buy signal. But um, so we have a lot of optimism. You mentioned the, the SPAC index and the IPO. Index, just, you know, really just remarkable returns. The stack index is up 25, last 27 sessions. So that's pretty extreme speculative behavior. But that's okay as long as the price action continues to confirm, as long as we see stocks break out and hold the breakouts. What happened yesterday that concerned us a little, a little bit was that you had these very strong uh breakouts forming, and they and they just completely reversed and gave it up. And, um, you know, you, Josh mentioned a couple of the names did bounce, are bouncing back pretty strongly today, and that's great. Um, but there's still names that, that aren't really bouncing back. And, and these are some names we were actually just on last week saying that we liked, Facebook and Microsoft, and they just can't get any upside momentum. Now, we still think they're okay those names are okay. We're really concerned with some of those SPAC and IPO and electric vehicle names that you mentioned. That's, that's where we think the longer-term risk is. Um, I think the rest of the market, we're just more talking about a little bit of a short-term shakeout that will probably set us up for a a year-end rally. But I think the next next week or so could be a little bit hairy.
2: Yeah, people aren't focusing so much on the trash. It's more the treasures and, and the IPOs of yesterday and today. Jonathan would suggest that not only is the music not ready to stop, but the volume's getting turned up even louder.
5: Yeah, that's fair, and I I agree with Josh to some extent, too, that the the rotation is healthy and and ongoing. You know, energy is is an area that we wrote about last week that we think is actually reversing a long-term bearish trend. Um, So from our perspective, you can continue to chase some of these high-flying growth names, but I think the... the longer term trends uh, in, in stuff like energy and some of those other areas are, are actually where you want to be. Um, just because, you know, we, we can see how quickly the rug can get pulled on some of these uh, on some of these stretch names to the upside. Yeah.
2: Although people get right back in um, and bid them right back up. <laughs> Jonathan, thanks. It's good to have your insight. Your note uh, certainly piqued our interest today. I know we'll talk to you again soon. So you could raise all these questions. You could say, well, the valuations in part of technology are simply out of whack. You could say, well, vaccine supply, You know, that may be an issue. Cases are spiking. Three thousand deaths in the U.S. That's that's a potential um, headwind. You've got stimulus talks, which still going nowhere. Right. Until we have something done, it's going nowhere. That's how I'm looking at it. Um, The flip side of that, though, is that you seem to have what people think is a pretty darn good environment for stocks coming into the end of the year and into the new year. And on that note, let's bring in the biggest bull on Wall Street for 2021, Dubravko Lakos is the Head of Equity Strategy and Global Quantitative Research at J.P. Morgan. Back with us. Good to see you. Thank you, Mr. Bull. Uh, the headline for you today, as Patty Martell tells me, our senior producer, market nirvana. That's what you say we're in or about to be.
6: Yes. So, um, look, we are, we're expecting, we're basically seeing one of the uh, best environments for equities, uh, you know, in, in, in a number of years, you've seen uh, a lot of risks that the market has basically had to cope with and has struggled with, ranging from you know global trade war, obviously the pandemic this year, all of the uncertainty around U.S. politics, the election. A lot of these risks are subsiding, and I think <clears throat> that's going to help. Uh, broadly speaking, uh, risk sentiment um, it's going to help sort of put uh, capital to work. Uh, business cycle is recovering. And uh, you, you were mentioning, you know, some of these call it the tailwinds even in sort of in, in these prior minutes. But, you know, whether you look at the liquidity picture where money supply is growing at about 24% year over year, biggest increase since 1940s. Um, whether you're looking at the fact that vaccine distribution is around the corner, uh, 1Q, 2Q, that's going to continue to pro- propel this recovery. Um, whether you look at the fact that S&P 500 is sitting on record high cash balance. You know, X financials we're looking at $2.1 trillion in cash. Some of that cash will get released and it will help revitalize CapEx. M&A, I think, is looking good. Uh, buybacks could, could start coming back. Uh, and then the last thing I'll mention is positioning. Positioning has gone up, but it's still below average. And in fact, we estimate, you know, we're looking at about a trillion dollars worth of equity inflow slash equity demand uh, coming from systematic flows, uh, hedge fund positioning, uh, further retail buying, uh, buybacks, and very importantly, continued rotation from non-equity into equity. So we're looking at a pretty positive environment, especially for the first half of next year.
2: I don't disagree with you. and. I think a lot of people agree with you. And certainly the big investors that I speak with on a fairly regular basis, they agree with you, which in and of itself makes me a little nervous. It's almost like what could possibly go wrong? The environment looks so good.
6: Yes, look, uh, you know, that, that's a very fair comment. And look, uh, is the market, you know, is, is there some complacency that that's building up? Yes, there is. and. Look, but what we have to just keep in mind is that you know um, these multiple expansion periods, and call this even some form of bubble. And again, a lot of it is due to this unprecedented liquidity injection. These environments can persist for for quite some time, and that's why you know while I think you know there is uneasiness, I think that's one of the reasons why the market continues to basically grind higher, and I, I don't see any of these big tailwinds being sort of pulled out of the uh, uh, out of the market. So I, I you know. We will see days when there will be pullback. We will see days when there will be nervousness. But I don't see I, I think the big picture here for the next six to 12 months remains a very positive story. So I, I, I think now is the time to basically be invested. Now is the time to be sort of be putting sort of you know, money and money to work and be adding risk. Josh, uh,
2: I'd, like, I'd like to get you involved here um, because, you know, you're, you sound pretty bullish, too. Forty four hundred is the base case for Dubrovko for year end 2021. That's 20 percent higher, Josh, from where we are now. You know all the scenarios, too, which people have laid out for reasons to be bullish. I've heard the word Goldilocks used repeatedly. Does this make sense? So uh, th- thanks for pulling me into
0: this, because Debravko, I'd like to ask you how much of that 20 percent growth in the S&P 500 over the next year comes from multiple expansion and how much comes from uh, gains in earnings, regardless of how they're produced. Whether it's operating earnings growth or it's buyback shrinking the float or some combination, like what's the what's the ratio of that uh, call?
6: So the, the, you know that's a very good question, I, and we're basically saying it's it's going to come from both sides. You still we still think that there is some room for multiple expansion, uh, and the reason for that is because uh, clouds are clearing up. There's greater visibility, not just for 21, but actually for 2022. So there's no reason why the market and investors cannot really start looking ahead towards 2022 uh, and that's going to allow basically to to, you know allow the multiple to re-rate and sort of price some of these call it you know future growth prospects uh, right now Uh, in terms of earnings we're basically looking for 178 uh, S&P EPS for next year and 200 uh, for 2022 so we're basically looking at you know a solid call it 30% upside in earnings growth between 21 and 22 so Definitely earnings growth is coming our way, uh, but there's still some room for multiple expansion. And on the multiple side, I would say the first half of next year, um, I think we look good after that. You know, we could definitely start to see some talk of liquidity tapering, uh, perhaps more upward pressure on rates, and that could start to change the multiple story. But I don't think it's going to be first-half story of next year. I think it's something that could come later in 21 and as we go into 2022.
2: Your, I mean, your your picks.
0: Is tech- make, make- Sorry, what, one one quick follow. Yeah, hurry up. Is technology still t- is thick is technology still 30% of the S&P this time next year? Is it more of the same? Is that what investors should be thinking?
6: No, so we are generally, we've been generally pushing, and we were maybe a little bit too early on this, we've been generally pushing the value, the cyclical trade. Uh, it's, it's definitely been working, you know, in the month of November and so far in December. We think this, the, the value trade has more room to run, and again, it's not so much value, but it's the COVID recovery theme. That's the big theme of next year, the epicenter stocks, and they happen to be correlated with value. So that's what we think leads the market. Tech, I think cyclical tech can actually do quite well. Some of these other parts of tech that were big beneficiaries of COVID, uh, I would say they probably, be, you know, perform in line with the market to slightly lag. It's really the bond proxies that I think are the more problematic next year.
2: Wow. It sounds like you and Tom Lee have been having some Zoom cocktails or something uh, <laughs> of late. It sounds familiar. Yeah. Consumer discretionary, your top pick.
6: Yes. Consumer discretionary, financials, energy and health also sector I would like to highlight.
2: So consumer discretionary, your top pick. I've got a lot of ownership on my my committee with that. Financials, rates going up, helping the financials, the recovery, helping the financials, too. Um, Energy is high on your list, which, you know, that's a maybe more controversial play. We've had a nice run. Whether that's sustainable or not is a question.
6: Yes. Energy is probably, you know, not probably, certainly the most controversial value call here. Uh, A lot of it is also due to the ongoing ESG theme and trend that many uh, continue to push. Uh, So, again, yes, it's not an easy one, but we do think given the massive divergence that's taken place in the market during this pandemic and even before the pandemic, uh, energy being sort of on the low end of that, uh, we, we think there's more room for the, for, for the basically sector to catch up. There is a potential imbalance that we're basically seeing in the months and quarters ahead where uh, as lockdown restrictions ease, we see pent-up demand, demand surprising on the upside. Supply in the meantime remains contained. That's positive imbalance, and I don't see why energy shouldn't continue to do well in that kind of environment. All right. So,
2: Courtney, um, your chance with Dubravko. You can ask him about his whatever you want, market call itself which is very optimistic or a sector you'd like to talk about
3: well i, I am a huge fan of his as as he knows and um i i, I think you know and i had a, the pleasure of reading your report which i think again is, is spot on i even think when you kind of outlined the risks which i think are important to kind of focus on some of those are even stretched right so whether it is a, a rising interest rate environment or obviously a a resurgence of covid that potentially poses a risk you also bring up kind of the election in georgia and what i'd love for you to do is kind of maybe take the other side of that argument i think a number of people have looked at that as a negative and i'd love to hear your perspective on is it really a negative? Should the House and the Senate both be democratic? And, and realistically, what's the other side of that argument in the event you actually get some things done?
6: Look, so uh, right now the market is basically ran ahead and let's call it priced in a gridlock meaning no disruptive changes in terms of tax increases, uh, tighter legislation. And if anything, people are saying we could get maybe some degree of easing in terms of global trade tensions. Uh, So now, you know, fast forward to January 5th, let's say if both of the uh, Senate seats go to the Democratic side and we end up now seeing some form of light blue sweep scenario, um, I think that could create a little bit of nervousness just for the obvious reason that, again, people will start to ask the question, Wow, what what if now again we start talking about taxes moving higher what kind of impact that could have on margins and earnings so nervousness would go up but we think that risk should be broadly speaking manageable because generally speaking congress has moved towards the center uh... and so i don't think there's gonna be much propensity for any sort of call it extreme change at the same time however as you mentioned Uh, odds of some form of uh, bigger fiscal package, be it infrastructure, you know, Green Deal, uh, odds of that would definitely go higher, which I think would be very supportive for economy, not just in the first quarter, but more broadly uh, in 2021. And so that I think is, is, you know, can create definitely some room for for optimism. So that's why it's a risk given where expectations right now, but we think it's a manageable risk.
2: You think Congress has moved more towards the center? We've been watching the same game. I mean, well, look at
6: the House. Just look at the House. Yeah. Again, expectations. What were the expectations going into the election? And, you know, what's the turnout right now? Yeah. The, the lead is still on the Democratic side. It's just narrowed a little bit. So, again, we're just seeing a little bit more of center, uh, pivot to the center. Oh, which, so again, th- for, for uh, markets, historically, gridlock has been a positive. Oh, for sure. But I also think if, if
2: the Democrats win the runoffs in, in January, uh, I'd expect the market to sell off and and maybe sell off pretty well, at least initially, for exactly the reasons that you said. If you get higher corporate taxes, you're going to have to rethink the earnings environment. Mm -hmm. And you may have to rethink the CapEx environment. And you may have to rethink the regulatory environment.
6: Change in earnings outlook changes stock outlook, doesn't it? no yes it does you know yes it does and that's why we basically put that at the the front of our report basically saying it's our key short-term risk but again the question is you know nervousness goes up people start talking about tax increase question is what gets really implemented right so originally people are talking about s p corporate statutory corporate tax rate going up to 28 from 21 given that congress has moved to towards the center again is 28 going to be the likely outcome in that situation Possibly, but possibly not. It could be lower. Right. So that's why I think that most likely, again, what ends up materializing and getting implemented may not be as bad as, as as feared, but certainly will be a source of nervousness and volatility for the market. And we could see some form of pullback if that were to play out on January 5th.
2: We'll see. Yeah, it's always good to talk to you, Dubrovko. Thanks for the time today. I know you thanks got a split and we'll uh, we'll catch up with you, um, if not before the new year. Uh, shortly thereafter. That's Dubravko-Lakos, J.P. Morgan, joining us right now. So, Jenny, what do you think about this energy call? You know, he says it's the most controversial, It uh, seems to be. Do you agree?
4: It is, but I think it's also going to be one of the easiest places to make money. And what we need to keep remembering is that when energy prices, when oil prices came down to the 20s earlier this year and actually lower than that, rigs were shut down tremendously. So when you look at the rig counts right now, they're lower even than they were in 2015 when oil collapsed back then. So what you're going to ultimately bump into as the economy comes back online is you're going to see that the, that the supply isn't at the level that it should be for the new demand. And that'll keep oil and energy prices higher. It'll support the sector. And, and also there was like all these closed end fund tradings that ha- trades that happened that just depressed this whole sector. So I think it's an easy place to make money. I think he's right. And the ESG trade will keep a cap on valuations. But let's say the valuations then are 15 times, not the six, seven, eight, 10 times that they're at now. They'll still be capped relative to the broader market. But we're all driving cars. Most of them still use oil.
2: Yeah. John, is there a sector on this list (laughs) that Dubrovko has laid out that you disagree with? Well, there we go again. Uh-huh. Okay. guess he disagrees, Scott. He must. It sounds like really interesting what he's saying, though. I mean, he's got the hand motions going and everything. All right, we'll, we'll, get, back, we'll get back to him in a second. Josh, what about you? Is there a group on here that you don't like? <laughs> I, don't,
0: I don't agree with this premise that oil is going to be the easiest place to make money because I think it's uh, secularly challenged. I'm not sure that um, Energy, those stocks Josh, are going to not be oil. Okay, that's fair. So I would, I, would, I would probably say, if you're going to put that bet on, I think you want to be diversified in energy, specifically natural gas. I don't think you want to be um, yep. in oil pure plays. And I actually don't think you want to have a lot of leverage to the price of energy or demand for energy. So maybe I'd be looking at some of the better dividend players, the distribution companies, but so- I don't know how easy it's going to be to make money there.
4: But like, take take enterprise products for example, right? The ticker's EPD. It trades at a multiple of ten times, and they have a huge diversified network of pipelines. The stock's still down thirty percent on the year, has an eight and a half percent yield, and the majority of what they transport is natural gas. So, you know, so you yeah. have things like that, and that's part convert? of the whole energy sector. They convert. Is that a C corp or is depressed.
2: that is
4: it? No, is that a C-Corp I think they probably is, will, but that, it's not so, happening yet.
2: Hey guys, I got, it's I got still a, an so that's a K1. I got to split real quick, but Josh, quickly mm-hmm. though, why is Slumberger though, I mean, isn't Slumberger somewhat leveraged to the price of oil? Yeah, it sucks. It's the worst stock I've ever bought in my life. Well, that's why I'm asking though, because <laughs> it sounds like that stock
4: would Depends be on yeah. one, you,
2: one of the ones you wouldn't want based on what
0: you yeah. just said. Yeah, I, lo- I, lost like f- I lost like 50% in Slumberger. We- we're trying not to talk about it.
4: Yeah, but if you bought it in, I'm not bu- I'm not buying it in more. March or April, you would okay. have paid $13. Re- I'm,
2: I'm glad I
0: brought Renewables. it up. Renewables.
2: Right? That's, that's, that's my job.
0: Renewables. Ones, yeah, I'm, glad, I'm ones, glad you brought it up, too. Thank you. The ones you. you
2: don't want to talk about are the ones that I'm going to bring up um, because I think it does yeah, help I our I definitely viewers. don't want to talk about it. Yeah, Okay. It helps our viewers at least understand <laughs> why some of, some of our picks may not always work out. All right. Uh, what do you guys want to do? The should be delisted. Richard? All right. Let's go to Leslie Picker. We uh, continue to watch the Air- Airbnb walk up to the IPO. Les, hey, what Steph, do you got?
7: Uh, let's up those latest indications now coming in just over one hundred and fifty five dollars per share. Remember, uh, this one priced well below that. It's looking like a one hundred and twenty nine percent pop if it does indeed open around these levels. That's sixty one billion dollars worth of market value created in one day on this name. And I've been speaking with sources all morning. I just wanted to share a bit of color about what has been going on this morning, why we're still waiting. Uh, I'm told we should expect that first trade to to happen in about an hour's time. This was such a big deal. Three and a half billion dollars worth of stock sold. First, they needed to really make sure that all of the people who got allocations actually did receive those allocations. And then they started pairing the supply side with the demand side. And there has been such a tremendous amount of interest in this one worldwide uh, that it's just taking a long time to make sure they get that first opening trade correctly. Now, who is buying this deal? That's that's a key question that we try and look at in every deal. What does the book look like? What did the bankers put together from the buy side in order to make sure that this deal got off the ground with the highest quality investors as possible? I'm told there are about 500 investors in the book, mostly the big long onlys, existing inv- owners sizing up sovereign funds, niche technology focused hedge funds make up the bulk of those investors in this deal. Uh, Morgan Stanley is leading and stabilizing this deal today as the lead book runner on the deal. Uh, Additionally, one thing that we talked about yesterday, this is very much the case in Airbnb's IPO as well as DoorDash's, is this variable of the retail investor and how they're playing in here. DoorDash saw a tremendous amount of retail interest yesterday. Airbnb arguably is seeing even more because of the global nature of this company. The fact that you can stay at an Airbnb in Europe and in Asia and all over the world makes it so that You know, you have retail investors who are interested from all over the world, not just North America, for people who actually know this this company have used it and want to buy stock into it. Uh, So a lot of interesting dynamics as we wait about an hour's time, I think we can expect to see the first trade, Scott.
2: It just raises, you know, a a number of issues, obviously. And I wonder if if less as we get into the new year and more companies that we have heard of and know and become household names there are any left that aren't public, and I'm sure <laughs> sure there are, if it just changes the game in, in how this whole process is done because of, as, as you just said, the intense retail interest, the likes of yeah. which we saw yesterday and today, if the the underwriters of these uh, IPOs just have no accurate way in these cases of understanding who the, the buyer base is really going to be and where to price these things. I mean, If you look at DoorDash, where it was priced and where it went out, and then this is going to be the biggest surge since 08, it looks like, as some are saying today, it raises those very same questions.
7: It's definitely the biggest surge in terms of market value created, but you're absolutely right. The retail variable is such a key question. It's a disparate group. The traditional IPO process, and this one involves some unique aspects to it, but at its core it really is the traditional IPO process. It involves, and this this process by the way goes back like 40 years. It's been done this way for a very long time, but it involves having conversations with big institutional investors. You know, there's kind of a back and forth, what are you willing to pay? Uh, how much stock are you willing to buy at such and such price. It's a bit more of a hands-on process. And retail, by and large, isn't really involved in those conversations because they're not the ones that are having these private one-on-one meetings with management during the roadshow. They're a very disparate group. I mean, it's, you know, Bob in his basement saying, yeah, I stayed in an Airbnb. That sounds great. And they may have an expectation that this thing is going higher because that's what the chatter has been uh, among a lot of the investing community. But nobody and I've talked to a lot of people close to this one. Nobody really expected one hundred and fifty five dollars out of the gate. They expected there to be a demand. But these types of pops, I, I just can't underscore enough how unusual they are for a company of this size. You see it more in kind of the smaller startups, potentially, even SPACs this year. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about a company that's, that's looking at a $108 billion market, uh, uh, fully diluted market cap. Mm-hmm. Yesterday, when it priced, I mean, it was valued at $47 billion. So, you know, that's a, that's a huge run up in, in, you know, a couple hours. I
2: mean, I just remember, you know, for the, the Uber IPO, we, we were having conversations and maybe we had it. <laughs> with Mark Cuban at the time, who was also thinking about these sorts of issues of these super mature (laughs) late stage private companies. I think you call them that, right? Super mature and how much growth is truly ahead. And the Uber IPO had some of those issues. This apparently does not.
7: So what's interesting about this one, and I've been asking people the same thing, because especially as you make comparisons to the deals of 2019, which we saw a lot of down rounds, some muted first day tradings. So Uber fell on its first day of trading. Uh, you know, what's different this year? What's different about DoorDash? What's different about Airbnb? Why is it in a year where we've seen a pandemic and tremendous volatility in the market that these deals are just going up and having these huge first day pops and so much interest, especially against the backdrop of uncertainty? Uh, and people say that the pandemic 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 showed the resiliency of the business model. It also showed that there are these companies that you can look ahead to and potentially say, well, Airbnb was able to survive the pandemic. Oh, and there's going to be this pent up demand for additional travel going into the new year. uh, And that will benefit Airbnb even more than they saw this year. There's also this whole idea of index inclusion. And we've seen that, you know, around Tesla stock. People are saying, "Okay, well, I want to get in on the ground for these companies now. They're big cap names. Mm-hmm. I, if I get in now, maybe I can benefit when they're included in the index.
2: This kind of activity also, I know, I know we got to run, um, is a good rebuttal to the question, too, as, as I was you know, sort of alluding to of whether these kinds of companies or this one in particular went public too late.
8: Mm-hmm.
2: What we're seeing today would suggest absolutely not, because there's such an overwhelmingly large demand as the price and the, uh, the opening price, the indication would, would suggest. Leslie. we'll probably be back to you before we finish the hour. Uh, if not, I know we'll see more of you once this starts to actually trade. Leslie Picker, we'll take a quick break. Starbucks expecting a strong rebound in 21. Its shares hitting new highs today. We'll trade that next. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back on the half right after this. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit odfl.com to learn more.
8: Welcome back everybody, I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi saying she is encouraged by the bipartisan support for a new pandemic aid package, but she's still waiting to see the details.
4: I think they've made great progress and I salute them for that. Of course, as always, we have to see the text, but I think the values that uh, and the priorities that they have established are what we need to do right away.
8: The Supreme Court has unanimously ruled that three Muslim men can sue the FBI for placing them on the government's no-fly list when they refuse to become informants. Also today, the high court reinstating rape convictions for three U.S. soldiers after a military court had thrown them out because too much time had elapsed between the assaults and the prosecutions. And take a look at this. This could be a new species of whales. The unusual beaks apparently are what stood out to researchers, along with some whale calls that appear to be quite unique. The whales were spotted about 300 miles south of the U.S. border off the coast. You're up to date. That's the news update. Scott, I'll send it back to you. I was
2: like whales two days in a row. Exactly. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) You got it. All right. Starbucks hitting a new record high today after the company said it's predicting a strong rebound next year. A lot of ownership. Courtney, you first. You own the stock.
3: I absolutely do, Scott, and I love it. Congratulations to my dear friend who will be the chair of that board. I've been very consistent, Scott. Leadership, leadership, leadership. Kevin Johnson, Melody Hobson. Kevin's been incredibly focused around his growth in China, his growth in the U.S., the profitability, 55,000 stores they're predicting um, that they would like to open by 2030, and they're at 33,000 now. And growth in the two key markets, the U.S. and China. So it's just a story that, uh, and a company that has just a tremendous amount of growth opportunity, and and I promise I'm at the drive-thru every day.
2: Mm -hmm. And (laughs) and you said, Josh, you're expecting a pretty big breakout yourself.
0: Yeah, well, yes. So I actually didn't buy this on the technicals because when I was buying it, the technicals were ugly. This was like a no-brainer. And I I said this on the show, like COVID or not, people are still going to drink coffee. So it's a question of when they can open their stores back (laughs) up for people to sit there. But in the meantime, this is a company that was way ahead of the game on digital, like better than 99% of other QSRs. Um, So it was an obvious, to me, it was an obvious buy in the pandemic, started buying in the 60s, averaged up, which I mm-hmm. think is, is an important uh, thing to have done because I didn't buy enough uh, early on. Um, but I have no intention of selling it just because it's now at an all-time high. I think the future is as bright as it's ever been for Starbucks. There's a dividend here, too. Um, and uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let it ride. I'm with Courtney. I love being in on the same stocks as Courtney. Uh, and I feel even better about
2: it hearing that she's as <laughs> bullish as I am. <laughs> All right. You two, among
0: others.
3: That's my Josh. <laughs>
2: All right, let's take a quick break. Uh, By the way, you can watch CNBC's full interview with Starbucks CEO Kevin Johnson earlier today. Uh, There's a piece of it right there. Go to CNBC Pro to do that. CNBC.com slash pro. You can see ARS and KJ and their conversation from earlier today. Ask Halftime's next. You can send your questions by video. As you've seen, we'll play them on the air. You can email us at askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back right after
4: this.
2: All right, we're back. Let's answer your questions now. First up, a video one for you, Jenny.
1: Thomas in Kingwood, Texas. BGS is my stock and it's made a recent acquisition and has a management change also technically weak. Should I buy more or hang on?
2: Okay, good question. Thank you for that. Jenny, what do you think? What's the answer here?
4: So b is the best-performing year-to-date stock in the portfolio at up about 60%. So obviously we need to look at it to see if it's time to sell. We've done a lot of valuation work on it. We think that it should be in the mid to low 30s, which would give us about 15 to 20% upside. You couple that with a 6.6% yield, I think you can keep holding it.
8: All right.
2: I'll hold it for the cherry peppers alone. I mean, those are pretty darn good. All right, Josh, to you. <laughs> and Ron- the
4: Crisco. Yeah, there you go.
2: <laughs> Uh, Ron in Naples, Florida, for you, Josh. Uh, you previously owned MongoDB, and Ron wants to know if sh- if he should hold it.
0: I mean, this is so this is so hard because if he's in it, he's probably up so much. I I, I had to look at like what was going on with this company to understand why it's been up as much as it has been. It's really been a huge move. I said to myself. Did this company invent a strain of weed that cures COVID? Like, what would do this to a stock? Um, But it's just, it's in the same group as the snowflakes of the world. Like, it's a data, um, it's a data management thing. And that's just like the hottest area of the market. Normally, what I would say to this question is, trail it with the 200-day moving average, update it each week. Let that be your trailing stop. That wouldn't help you. The stock is $102 above it's, it's rising 200 day. The rising 200 day is like 200. It's a $300 stock. That wouldn't help you. So the only answer here, if you want to stay with it, position sizing. Watch as this thing grows in proportion to your other holdings and make a commitment now that you're going to trim it as it keeps doing this. That way, if it reverses course and plunges, you don't have a full position on and you will have pulled some money out. Hopefully you own this in an IRA with his uh, no taxes or deferred taxes. But that's what I would do if it were me personally.
2: Okay. Great Uh, company, though. Thank you. Dr. J, uh, I hope we can hear you now. Sid in Los Angeles does, too, because he wants to know about Oracle. Is it a buy going into earnings later today?
1: (laughs) Um, Gosh, I hope so, Scott. Um, I own the stock. I've written calls against it. Um, This one's just kind of very dull, but I'm in it. And I'm hoping, just like uh, the viewer, that it goes higher after the earnings.
2: All right, Court, lastly, you. Dino, Michigan, wants to know about Toll Brothers. Is it a buy?
1: Absolutely, it's
3: a buy for the same reasons that I bought it um, weeks ago at this point. You think about low interest rates, shortage of supply, and the best housing market we've seen in decades. This is a name you want to be in.
2: Okay, good stuff coming up. John's latest trades and unusual activity. We're not going to miss those. We'll be back right after this. Welcome back. Let's do the futures outlook. Now, platinum is higher today, rising 16% in the past month. And for more on how the futures traders are navigating that move, let's bring in Bill Baruch of Blue Line Futures. We don't talk about it uh, all that often, but today we will. So give us a trade, please.
10: Well, thanks for having me on, Judge. Yes, you're right. Platinum actually up 20% since the end of October. I think it's the metals in general are a great space this year, and they're going to continue to be next year. I'm long platinum with exposure in my wealth management portfolios, as well as in the future side. A weaker dollar is going to continue to be a tailwind. Chinese buying and inflation is going to uptick. We saw the CPI data today. So I was on your last week talking about buying 990, uh, and that would have gotten- filled if you put that order in. So today, I'm following that up. Buy 1030 if you're not in already. Let's put a stop at 990 now. That's a $50 risk, a $2,500 risk there. 1030, I'm looking for 1190 to the upside. That right there would be an 8,000 gain. Platinum
2: is breaking out of a decade-long downtrend, and this chart looks really, really good. Wow. So last week, you're looking 990. Now you're looking 1190.
10: 990 was the buy last week with the stop down at 945. Target's always been 1190. I got you. Still looking up for 1190. But if you're not in, you can buy here at 1030 with the stop at 990 now.
2: All right, Bill. Appreciate it. As always, Bill Baruch joining us there. Unusual activity. Final trades coming up next. Doc, quick. What do you got, final act, uh, unusual activity and your final trade?
1: ATVI, Scott, the December 83 calls, a lot of those bought really fast. I bought those. Also, end of December, net, NET, the 90 calls. Huge buying there, Scott. Last final trade, KRE, the Regional Banking Index.
2: Good stuff. Thank you, Doc. Jenny, final trade.
1: Thank you.
4: Compass Divert. Compass Diversified, 7% yield, and their analyst day starts in exactly 30 seconds.
2: Okay, good stuff. Court? (laughs)
3: I'm going to go with Square and PayPal. Take your pick. It's not priced in yet as it relates to the effect that crypto is going to have on these platforms.
2: You own both of those, just to be clear, right? Love it.
3: I I just own Square. I'm getting ready to buy PayPal. That's why I had to put my phone down.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right, Josh Brown, what do you got for us? (laughs)
0: Um, uber consolidating the big breakout that started december 1st uh, I, I think this is exactly where if you missed it you you get an opportunity to buy
2: all right good stuff thanks everybody good to see all of you i'll see you on power lunch in just a little bit the exchange begins now you've been listening to cnbc's halftime report the podcast you can always catch us live weekdays at 12 eastern only on cnbc